Hello. Welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. We are those people. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm head of Intermodal Solutions here at FreightWaves. Work uh, primarily on the data side. And I'm joined with my co-host, Joanna Marsh, who is a writer, um, editorial writer at uh, FreightWaves, follows the rail industry. Joanna, how are you today? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, you just got your uh, rail roundup out, which yeah. is um, with a newsletter. And you're talking about the Port of uh, Virginia upgrading facilities. What's happening in uh, Norfolk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually two places. So um, uh, the Port of Virginia said they're investing about $18 million in two projects. One's actually at the Inland Port near Fred Royal, which is in northern Virginia, Inland, obviously. <laughs> and uh, and the other one, I believe, is in the, the oh, closer closer to, to Norfolk, and that's with a, with a maritime mm-hmm. terminal. Um, and um, the one in the inland port, uh, that's the one I, I believe the, um, Norfolk Southern has, um, has a connection there with its Crescent service and they're looking to, um, to, to, uh, place, some um, some, uh, some cranes there and, you know, to, to help sort of facilitate and expand, um, capacity, uh, at, at the inland port. Um, and then I believe at the, the other place, um, the intent is to um, also, again, kind of increase capacity, but but uh, with with truck movements actually, and so kind of um, you know giving um, uh, truckers someplace you know more, more space to to, uh, to to wait <laughs> on things, as well as you know just kind of I think with with the, the flows of the um, of the uh, facility there. So that's what's happening. Um, and I think they they said it's part of like a and part of a broader sort of multi billion dollar um, gateway project, you know. So, yeah, that seems to be a theme. Some of these inland ports. I saw last week, um, you know, Canadian National um, investing in that facility, and I think it was uh, Calgary. So it's sort of an inland port. It almost made it sound like it was um, going to be kind of like an Ontario, California of of Canada, sort of moving those off of the off of the coast. Um, it was interesting, CN was talking about using that for more translows, so more potentially domestic intermodal, even though Canada is largely, um, you know, really primarily international uh, intermodal. So I thought that was interesting, really sort of touches on the theme of all the investments along the East Coast uh, ports. Um, there's been so much over the last you know, few years in terms of, of dredging and, and, and those things. So we'll continue to watch that. Um, you also had this other article, which I think we have a graphic to show um, your latest rail safety bill takes aim at wheel-related train derailments um, introduced by uh, lawmakers in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Um, you know what's happening with with this? Yeah, so that I, that's interesting because you know some of those lawmakers were also involved in a March bill um, <laughs> that uh, called for um, you know two-person crews, train crews, and also I, I believe um, uh, you know some of Let's see. I mean, that was the main thing that I remember from it. But uh, uh, you know, also calling, I think, publicly to look at at wayside detectors. But um, yeah, looking at wayside detectors. But the um, but this uh, this more recent bill um, uh, is kind of looking at the uh, looking at, at rail car um, inspections and rail car maintenance. And um, I, I thought it was interesting because I was speaking with, um, or you know, being in touch with a, a source who is an a, you know, a, an engineer, and um, you know, he was wondering like why um, 
why there hasn't been um, as much attention in the media in terms of, uh, you know, looking at bearings um, since, you know, if NTSB um, said that, you know, bearings might be an, an issue um, in the February tw- February 3rd uh, Norfolk Southern train derailment in, in Ohio, um, you know, mm-hmm. there's all this talk, you know, there was a talk about the ECP breaks and the, and the two-person crews and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, so where is the research of, you know, where is the support on on finding bearings? And so I thought this bill was interesting um, because you know it does talk about you know looking into um, you know wheel uh, um, related train derailments, which is getting closer to to the issue of bearings. Um, and so we'll see you know what happens with that bill. And it seems to have um, uh, garnered some support uh, from some of the unions that represent um, rail mechanics too. So. Uh, I'm not sure where the industry um, uh, stands on it, but I, I think, um, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting overall because, you know, because looking at the some of the repair kind of finer points I, that you might not necessarily, not be as, as sexy necessarily, but, you know, still. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the unions tend to like these type of, um, you know, bills. I mean, especially if it mandates two-person crews, they love that. Mm-hmm. But uh, even things that just require sort of, I think, additional inspection and, and, and those things and requiring inspection that you have to do manually instead of with some kind of uh, automated device. Um, you know, I imagine the AAR would be, would be against it. Sort of, um, you know, put sort of more rules sort of puts them more in a box in terms of you know, sort of uh, complying with those things. That's another thing we'll continue to watch and do think that it sort of hits on exactly what potentially caused that February 3rd derailment. Um, but um, you know, I'm not sure I totally ag- agree that, you know, people saying, okay, we, there hasn't been a lot of attention on those wheels. To me, it seems like there's, there's been a tremendous amount of attention on those wheels, but um, still it sort of remains to be seen exactly why that rail car, um, you know, wheel set heated up to such a degree in such a short period of time. So, um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more of these things you know, coming out in the coming months. So we'll, we'll continue to follow your, um, you know, articles and there's a you know newsletter that you can go to at freightwaves.com to follow uh, the rail news in addition to sort of you know, most everything else that we cover at FreightWaves. Um, and with that, want to go into uh, today's guest who, uh, like FreightWaves, is in the uh, data business. So our guest today is John Schmitter. John is a co-founder and COO of Rail State. This is a company he co-founded in 2019 that delivers unbiased third-party railroad um, network uh, data on performance, uh, volume, a variety of other things via uh, detectors that um, you know go along the wayside of this. And interested to see um, you know, how you can leverage data to um, you know, help you if you're a shipper, analyst, government agency, et cetera. John, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. How are, how are you, Mike? Hi, Joanna. Yeah. Hi. And and you also wrote an article the other day on um, FreightWaves.com viewpoint about uh, asking where's where's the railroad growth? We, we talk a lot about railroad growth, but but where is it? What was, was the crux of the, this article? You don't see their growth either. No, that's uh, that that that's right. I think you know as uh, as as the railroads you know talk about growth, I think they you know you, you usually hear them talk about smart, sustainable growth. Um, you know, which which yeah, to me always seems to mean that the uh, uh, that they would no new train starts, no new services. They you know they basically want to yeah attract a, a growth that that will produce the exact same margins 
as they uh, as they do now without any e- even though business might be profitable whether it has it may not be as profitable as the the current base of business and you know they're they're just very careful about uh, about doing anything especially a capital investment to expand that growth yeah, I mean, you think about something like intermodal, which is supposed to be the growth area of railroads, and it's almost going to be, by definition, dilutive to the margin because there's a built-in competitor there with with, with the highway. So, um, you know, if, if the objective is to lower the operating ratio, then you wouldn't pursue intermodal. But, um, you know, the railroads all say they're trying to maximize, you know, operating income and taking that into account, you know, more so than that operating ratio number. But it, it does seem like when activist investors um, you know, try to kick out a, a certain management team. It's usually because that operating ratio is is higher than the competitors. Yeah, that's that, that's right. And you know, investors seem more concerned about uh, yeah, about that uh, that operation operating ratio and the financial performance than they do uh, to uh, to growing volume. And really, when you look up the the, the railroads management structures and their uh, are are really set up. Uh, around that to manage that to manage that very very carefully to take on a new piece of business or to uh uh you know, or you know or to add, to do anything that would substantially grow uh shipments from a from a given customer is uh yeah is is, is something that takes quite a lot of effort amongst the commercial people in the uh in the railroad to uh to make it happen mm-hmm. yeah we we hear a lot about rail service issues and maybe they're a little bit better now because volume is down. I mean, particularly intermodal volume is down double digits, but um, even, you know, overall, you know, carload traffic's down, down some year to date. Um, it, it, I mean, what, what do you think is the biggest constraint there? I mean, the railroads say it's people. Is it, is it you know, more, more to it than that? It sounds like, you know, capital in, investments haven't been at a level in, in your perspective that it would really need to be to improve rail service. Well, I, I I think it is. I think it is. You know, it's 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 true that the limitation has has been uh, has been people. Uh, you know, the one of the things we uh, w- when we when we started Rail State and started to to to, to gather in you know a lot of information about the the movement of trains in Canada. I think one of the more surprising things we saw was um, that the actual train volumes on most of the rail segments in Canada. Is uh, is really quite a bit lower than the actual physical capacity of those uh, mm-hmm. of those lines. So they, you know, so the you know the constraining factor is uh, is is crews and locomotives, and yeah, you know, the amount of capacity the railroads make available is business decisions on their part, and that you know they you know they they decide you know what uh, you know, what capacity to make avail to make available, and they yeah they. That, you know they you know, they very much uh, uh, constrain that capacity as a as a business strategy. They're mostly monopolies in the market they serve, and you know c- you know capacity you know constraining capacity is a uh, really a you know financially a smart business decision for them. Um, whether that uh, uh, produces good outcomes for their customers, uh, for the uh, uh, for the economies of the U.S. and Canada is quite another story. Yeah, actually, you know, if you don't mind not kind of going back and and uh, maybe explaining, you know, what what rail state is briefly, and and to what you know what was the inspiration uh, for for um for, for creating that company. Sure. 
Well, we, yeah, we, I've, I, I've been in this industry basically for my, for my whole career. You know, I worked for two different class one railroads. I started in the operating department at Conrail. Uh, then w- w- I was also in the, in the marketing department and then, uh, spent a few years with LTL trucking companies and with, uh, with, with hub group in the intermodal space. So, um, you know, actually in those, those, those two businesses, you know, customer service responsiveness and, uh, competitive, uh, competitiveness to gain market share is quite a different thing than it is in a class one railroad. Um, but I also was at Southern Pacific railway, uh, um, for, uh, you're right up for the last, uh, six or seven years or so, right up until union Pacific acquired uh, Southern Pacific. And I've been, been mostly as a consultant working with, with shippers, uh, since then. And, you know, that was 17 years ago. And, we, you know, we've done, my partner, my co-founder, Jamie Heller, and I have, have done a lot of work uh, with shippers in the U.S. and Canada, all, all everything from commercial negotiations all the way through uh, through operating and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, operating plans for industrial rail yards and how they should deploy uh, deploy assets and so forth. Uh, but one one thing that that you know that that really stuck out uh, on us is the fact that you know in the uh, in the rail business you can track your own rail car. Um, um, if there's any you know any railroads will provide the car location messages. You could put GPS units uh, on your car, um, but you know there's no there's no network visibility. You know, and you can go on any of the other modes. Uh, for an, uh, on the, on the ocean, you can, you can find the location of every ship anywhere in the world in pretty much real time. So you know what the state of that network looks like. Same thing with every airplane anywhere in the sky. And you have Google maps or, or ways for, uh, for, for, uh, the, uh, highway infrastructure in, uh, in North America. So you can always know what the condition is, but you know, what do you have for railroad network, uh, visibility is basically system average train speeds from two weeks ago um you know it's it's quite a quite a stark difference and you know our our, you know it 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 became clear to us from the consulting engagements that in order for shippers to to achieve better outcomes they need more information need more visibility they've been asking for it for 30 years and uh you know the uh you know the what the regulators have been able to supply is just those system average statistics. So, um, real estate, our mission is to you know, basically be the Google maps and ways for freight railroads in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wh- why did you start with Canada rather than the U S? Um, we, we started in, uh, we started, we started in Canada. Um, it, it was really a business decision of ours. A lot of our, uh, of our, our, our uh, consulting, our consulting work has been in uh, has been in Canada, and it's a uh, you know so we we are very familiar with all of the large shippers in Canada. We've had consulting relationships with many of them. Um, we were able to to start the network in British Columbia. It basically provided an opportunity for us to to build a uh, really a condensed network uh, as an additional prototype to. Uh, that that was you know you know small enough to be contained that we could that we could manage it initially, and yet large enough to provide value for our additional charter initial charter clients 
and uh, to really uh, prove the concept that the uh, uh, that, that the network would work there. So it's uh, that what we were doing would scale and have the operational capability to uh, to, to grow it. And then uh, when Transport Canada, the rail regulator in Canada, became a customer. Yeah, they wanted us to deploy the network across Canada as quickly as possible. So we stayed in Canada, um, and we're just about completed the Canadian network, and we're we're starting in the U.S. now. Uh, we'll have substantial parts of the U.S. network covered by the end of this year, uh, and we'll continue to do deployments in 2024. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I imagine the Service Transportation Board would like to see that data too, because they've been asking the Classroom Railroads to provide more data on service, but your data provides an independent look at it, not having to take the, the, the railroads sort of, sort of word for it. Um, I hear that from shippers, you know, sh shippers as well, where they, you know, someone say, well, you know, they're big enough, you know, shipper that they talk to the class one railroads every single week, but you are getting a story that's going to make them want to keep the, um, intermodal containers on the, the railroad and not pull them out and, and move them on the highway. If this, there's a, some service issue. Um, yeah, you, when you, you when you think about it, the um, uh, you know customers, even if even if uh, you know the intermodal business aside, but uh, uh, companies in the that are shipping carloads on the uh, on the railroad, even even if your location is captive to one railroad, uh, many of these large industrial bulk shippers, even you know forest products, you you name it, have invested hundreds of million dollars to create optionality for themselves. So yeah, even if one even if one location is even if one location is 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 captive to uh, captive to one railroad, um, the, you know you may have you may have other locations on other railroads that could ship the same product to the destination. Mm -hmm. uh, some locations you may have more than one one railroad as a uh, one railroad as a choice. So the you know they they uh, you know they they invested and you also have the ability if you actually know what's going on. You you also have the ability to uh, to make adjustment in your 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 own operation. You know, for yeah, for example, you know, ship you know, you, you can uh, if you knew there was a problem two days out for the to making your next shipment, um, that there was a uh, there was an issue on the part of the railroad where that shipment was going to go. Uh, you know, maybe you say, All right, I got maybe I'll ship those orders uh, in a couple days from now, and I'll ship other orders now. Keep your assets moving. Keep keep the uh, keep the customers satisfied. But but if you don't know there's a problem at, on that part of the railroad, you know you're just going to keep shipping more cars right into the right into the same problem. And that is the situation most customers are are in now. Yeah, I think you were uh, when we talked before in um, in I think uh, a few months ago we were. You had mentioned something uh, in, in British Columbia, and I think it was Tech Resources. Uh, could you could you maybe explain exactly like what happened with that, um, and you know how that uh, how you know real estate um, uh, worked in that situation? Sure, uh, Tech was uh, one of our original original charter clients. You know, their whole world is from Eastern British Columbia to, towards the port uh, ports of uh, Vancouver, and uh, to some extent up to, to Prince Rupert. Um, right. So if you, you probably recall in the end of 2021, it's the, uh, you know, some severe flooding basically wiped out the CN and the CP between Kamloops and Vancouver. 
Uh, you know, that the rail was out of service for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and it, if, you know, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the pictures about what happened then, the, both railways did a remarkable job, really commendable job at getting this, the line back in service. But if, uh, but if you're, you know, if you're a typical shipper, right. And you only, all you know, is the location of your own car. Um, if, unless your car was, uh, you know, was involved or, you know, was on, uh, you know, one of the trains that was stuck there, you wouldn't even know it happened until, uh, until the, until you saw it on the news. And, you know, most, most instances on the railways really don't make it to the news. The train flow just stops for one reason or another. Um, now our, our, our customers could see that the, uh, Hey, this is a piece of railroad that's seeing a train every 30, 35 minutes or whatever. And, you know, it's now three or four hours with no trains to know there's something wrong. And, uh, you know, their trains are not involved in it. The train didn't stop yet. Um, and you, you, you know, they were able to, to, the tech was able to jump on it, say, you know, right, you know, here's what's, here's what's going on. They realized what the situation was. Um, you know, they've, they're able to talk to the, to the railway in a more informed basis, but, you know, to them, it discovered they had four train sets, uh, stuck on the Vancouver side of the washout. Um, so they, yeah, they, they, but they could also tell from our data, from the rail state data that the, uh, BNSF was moving, uh, okay between, uh, between Vancouver across the border to the U S and that the CN also was, uh, was moving okay between, uh, Cantaloupes and Prince Rupert. So, you know, tech was able to contract with the BN to, uh, to get those four trains, four trains out of, uh, out of there, move them through the U S back to their mines, um, load those, uh, load those trains and de redeploy a ship to, uh, up to Trigon terminals in, in Prince Rupert and ship those four train sets and load those ships. Uh, load that ship. They they told us it was uh, that was a cargo they wouldn't have got otherwise. Every one of those ships has fifty million dollars of coal on it. Fifty million dollars in sales for uh, uh, for tech. Fifty million dollars for the economy of Canada. Yeah, it's you know all and all of that. But you you think about though, you know tech totally acted in their own self interest. But but you look what it did for everyone else. They got those four train sets. That's six hundred cars. They took out of Vancouver, which enormously helped uh, the CN and CP there. Um, you know, they they uh, they freed up empty train slots uh, for for those cars moving back, and loaded train slots to uh, that they used where capacity was available up to Prince Rupert. So they made capacity available for everyone else. Um, so the fact that Tech knew what was going on had, had huge, huge benefits, not just for them, but for for everyone else and you know that was a that was an export ship that canada got they wouldn't have got otherwise yeah that makes a lot of sense you can really see how, how valuable that is to be able to you know make routing adjustments um you know like that when there's some issue i mean in canada you have issues like avalanches and of course there's floods everywhere and, and, and all those things um you know have you had any difficulty with um you know getting either you know permits or just local governments pushing back on, on you know putting the the sensors along the wayside of the of the track i mean i guess the, the railroads would own the would own the track but it, it probably would be off the the, the, the tracks so or maybe they wouldn't have a say but were, have there been instances where just local governments didn't didn't want you to put those sensors on or any any issues there 
Well, let, let, let me let me be clear about how we do this. Our centers are deployed well off the railroad's right of way on private property, on, on houses or, or, or small businesses. Uh, in, in doing the installation, we don't trespass on their property. We don't do anything like that. The devices themselves are passive devices. Basically, we're taking pictures of trains. Um, so it, it, they're, they're, you're not, the, the permit isn't required to do that. Um, so, yeah, we haven't had any pushback from governments and, and yeah, and in fact, the government of Canada is, uh, is one of our customers. Um, so it's, um, you know, so we're, you know, we're, uh, it's our, our goal. We had, we don't interfere in the railways operation and all. So, yeah, we have arrangements with, uh, with the, the, the owners of the properties where we put those, where we put those centers and it enables us to, uh. Uh, the technology enables us to see what we need to see from uh, quite a ways away. Yeah, that's good. That clarifies that. It was something I was I was curious about, um, but, but that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, really can you know, understand the value of, of of this business? And you know, data is so valuable to sort of all these these parties. I mean, we didn't even talk about some, you know how the value is there for you know commodities traders, analysts that you know might be looking at that. And and like the instance of of, of tech coal, I'm I'm sure there are. Um, Financial institutions that would be interested to see just how much they're they're moving and and make some you know trades based on what they think the company is going to do for the quarter based on how much volume they're moving on the railroad. Um, so so all those things you have other constituents in there that um, would find this valuable as well. Yeah, we think we think that's the case. We don't have any commodity traders as uh, as customers yet, but it's um most of them the ones we've talked to seem more interested in the U.S. than they are than they are in Canada, but. But you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, the idea would be to say, you know, that, you know, there's no, the railroads publish weekly statistics, the AAR does, uh, that basically shows the total volumes of, of grain or, or, uh, uh, metals or coal or whatever. Um, but, you know, that, that information is not geographically specific at all, at all. So, um, so what we would be able to provide to a commodity trader is, basically real-time data um you know essentially we could uh, we could just about tell you you know how much uh, how much grain or crude oil was loaded in uh, canada this morning and it's uh and and you know where that's flowing and get the real-time look on where the uh, uh where the commodities are flowing in and a real-time look at any any changes that that are made there so you know our data they would incorporate it in in their models with other data that they get and and then and then you know use that you use you use their own models to you know to predict what they should do what would be a good trade or when when is the time to unwind it unwind the trade that they've uh that they they've got in place no that's that yeah that's exciting that, that's, at least that's what we at least that's what we think it'll be available for commodity traders but we're we're still working on it so <laughs> Yeah, what's interesting with data businesses is sometimes you have you know customers at the, the early customers sort of all fit one description, and then when word gets out a little bit that this data is available somewhere, you have another constituent uh, come in, and um, you know your your sort of business mix uh, can can really change. But um, yeah, this is uh, this is great stuff. And um, you know, how can people reach out to you and uh, your colleagues at Real Estate? Uh, you can, uh, you can reach out to me at, uh, you go to www.railstate.com. Um, and you can, uh, just click on the contact us 
on on the website and we'll uh uh we'll get we'll get right back to you um you know people can also uh send me an email john schmitter at railstate.com great well thanks so much